<laughs> well done. Thank you. And thank you to Guillaume for introducing us a little bit into um, French literary history because Ahmed Hamdi Tampan, I was very much into French literary history and um, we'll talk a bit about that. So the Turkish novelist, poet, literary historian and critic Ahmed Hamdi Tampanar, born in 1901, a couple of decades before the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, remains one of the most loved, read and discussed writers of Turkey. His ex extensive body of work reveals different periods and conflicting views, keeping his readers always on their toes, refusing an easy categorization in the much politicized Turkish literary history. His famous formulation of the Ottoman-Republican divide was very simple. Our old life, revolving around Islam and centuries-old traditions, and our new life, in which Turks valued all things European and looked down on all things Ottoman and Islamic. The past was uh, not only a foreign, but also an enemy country. Tampanar was loath to let go, go of his heritage, his Ottoman heritage, and particularly language at one stroke, as the Republican Party ordered everyone, so this would be the 30s, especially those with a public voice to do. This compounded Tampanar's sense of exile, which can be said to be prime intellectual and literary capital. Tampanar taught Turkish literature at Istanbul University and was also commissioned to write a history of Turkish literature. His lectures on literature, given between 1939 and 1953, reveals the tension between the effort of writing a national literature and his literary cosmopolitanism. Scarcely can Tampanar mention an Ottoman author's name without naming his French predecessor or peer. Influence is not so much an anxiety in his lectures, but a force of nature that he recognises fully. Tampanar's writing reveals a very thorough understanding of early Ottoman literature, which he characterises as having been influenced by Arab and Persian literatures, to the extent that Turkish poetry had to borrow words from both languages in order to meet their former requirements such as metre. Tampanar's lectures highlight the Tanzimat period, 1840s, of having been foundational in the way we perceive Turkish literature today. He speaks of a shift in the human character in this period and recognises Tanzimat as the period that defines current Turkish character, of, of mostly belatedness. The literature of Tanzimat, he claims, brings about an important sense of both looking at uh, society and looking at the Turkish language for literary possibilities. Um, in a way, Tanzimat period is practical co comparatism. Reformers looking at European literature, comparing European and Turkish forms, and trying on genres they like and or find uh, socially useful. Tampanar's career um, spanned the years of the collapse of the Ottoman Empire, the War of Independence, and the first years of the Republican Revolution, and all the cultural upheaval and, um, that accompanied these years. His discontent with the literary scene of Republican Turkey lies in the fact that the search for a new Turkish literature that had already started in the last decades of the Ottoman uh, Empire had not borne fruit even after the cultural linguistic revolution of the Republic and the change of the alphabet. The language cultural revolution is central to Tampanar's work and his reading of Turkish literary history revolves around the idea of what he calls the issue of language. For him, the latest rupture from Ottoman Turkish to nationalised Turkish seems to be one of the phases that Turkish language has gone through. Tampanar uses literary history to show uh, precedence of this transformation, still recognising that this latest upheaval, um, or another favourite word of his, crisis, is much bigger in proportion. Teaching in Istanbul at the time, 
Eric Auerbach describes the Republic's failed attempt as cosmopolitanism, if it ever aspired to such a project, in his letter to Walter Benjamin in the following terms. I quote, The traditions of the existing Islamic culture are being rejected here. Instead, the regime is establishing a connection with an imaginary Turkishness. They are engaged in a European-minded attempt at modernization and are using this to attack Europe, which they are both in awe of and resent with its own weapons. The old script is being removed, Arabic words are being thrown out and are replaced by Turkish words or ones derived partly from European languages. This is the way with which the regime struggles against religiosity. Islamic cultures look down upon as an Arabic-rooted alienation. End of quote. Auerbach seems to concur with Tampana that the matter of Turkish literature and character is an issue of language, that the upheaval crisis of the Turkish character is observed in the Republican regime's attempts at regulating this language. Writing in the 40s and the 50s, Tampana was of the idea that the new voice had still not fully formed because of an incomplete coming to terms with Ottoman literature and because of a lack of understanding of how European literatures got to be where they are. He thought that a study of literary history and the formation of genres was central to producing a new literature, and it is through these indices that he utilises European literature for his lectures on Turkish literature. His lectures reveal a pedagogical method that can be termed a comparatism of literary history, with great emphasis on the factors that transform language through time. Tampanar's comparative philology is best exemplified in his comparison of Dante and the 14th century folk poet and Sufi Yunus as founders of national languages that shed, the, uh, that shed their courtly or ecclesiastical robes and can appeal to and be used by the masses. Bear in mind that what I'm quoting are lecture notes that were not edited by Tampanar but himself, but, by, uh, but were published by his students uh, posthumously, so their nature is a bit disorganised and full of free association, which in many ways characterises his comparatism, and it's my translation, so several layers to get through here. Uh, I quote, Poetry is a matter of language, and therefore social. The poet's relationship to language is this. He remakes the language. Dante and Junus achieved the consistency of the raw materials of the language. Dante says, the language of the people appealed to me, and so I used it. A couple of hundred years before him, the Latin language had severed. He said, um, uh, Dante said, he worked for the construction of the Italian language. Yunus, on the other hand, goes to the people from the culture of Sufism and Islam. Yunus is the man who arranges the language spoken by the people. Dante is just like Yunus. He descends from ancient culture and Latin language to the people. End of quote. From the experience of these two poets, Tamponar extrapolates the following, seemingly for all, but really for Turkish poets in particular. I quote, In order for a poet to make a new language, the following are needed. One, entering a new civilization. Two, lack of written literature or forgetting or changing that written tradition. Three, geographical change. Four, the acceptance of a superiority. End of quote. The experience of entering a new civilization and the unease and discomfort that a nation can feel in the new is a much-treated theme in Tampana's Earth. His novel, A Mind at Peace, about characters disintegrating in Ottoman villas by the Bosphorus, is written in what critic Jale Parla calls um, a wounded tongue. The language is extremely lavish, to the extent that the characters become allegorical figures representing the various deadlocks of Turkey's Europeanization project. The theme of Europeanization 
and its toll on the country is taken up again in Time Regulation Institute with a much lighter tone. The title of Time Regulation Institute suggests a comical, comical zeal on the part of the Turkish elites to keep up with Europe. However, regulating time, as the novel reveals, was a pastime in Turkey well before the Republic. Göknar, Tampunar's translator, calls his writing a lexical ruin, and that it, quote, mimics the antimonies of Ottoman and Turkish modernity. While Tampanar was as pro-European as the next intellectual, his emphasis on the importance of coming to terms with the Ottoman past singled him out as an Ottomanist in the Ottoman Republic divide in the world of uh, letters in early Republican Turkey. In his diaries and letters, Tampanar complains about not receiving any recognition in his lifetime and says that he felt ignored both by the right, read Ottomanist, and the left, read Republican camps. He says... The right do not consider me to be one of them. They do not feel I am as monovocal, as ignorant as themselves. The left hate me. Those of my cultural status find my better peers amongst the Franks. Clearly, the politically engaged right and left were not the audience Tampanar was writing for. His ideal audience were his contemporaries who were lettered in Ottoman and European languages and literatures and cared equally, if not more, about style. Tampanar clearly saw the work he was doing as part of the greater Vat literature, the sort of literature that the Franks, by the way, a generic name for Europeans, engaged in. Tampanar's literary cosmopolitanism seems to be an understanding that all, and for all, read European and Turkish authors live in the same world, and all literatures are subject to similar, similar social forces. Tampanar's lectures are an account of a late Ottoman, a Tanzimat world of letters, inhabiting the same literary world, or at least following the same literary trajectories as the Europeans, particularly in the development of genres. It is interesting that just as Tampanar was complaining about his loneliness, emphasising his solitary exile in Istanbul, Auerbach was teaching at the very same university. While Tampanar was given the job of teaching Turkish literature, which he turned into comparative literature classes, Auerbach was teaching Romance languages. If Auerbach's approach was exilic in writing his literary history, so was Tampanar's. Tampanar was, in a way, an exile from the Ottoman Empire and the Ottoman language without having changed where he lived. The nostalgia, however, never overrides Tampanar's pragmatism of Turkey needing a new literature to express the spirit of the new age. These two islands of comparatisms seem to have existed side by side for a number of years without one getting to know the other. All writers live in the same world, but do all literary historians? They seem to have had friends in common, but even in the most extensive research done on Auerbach's years in Istanbul, Kadar Konuk cannot provide any evidence of a meeting. One can only imagine what kind of a conversation would have taken place between Auerbach and Tampanar, neither of them Italian, concerning the vulgarization and downright abandonment of Latin a process of purification that both of them were observing in the continuing Turkish cultural revolution. Tampanar is keen to understand the progression of genres in Europe and Turkey, but does not attempt to formulate or use the, world, uh, the word world literature or comparative literature. Indeed, Goethe never makes an appearance, and there are very few references to Germans in his lectures. Tampanar's main problematic was the Turkish canon, an idea that he would return to over and over again. In his novel A Mind at Peace, uh, the narrator says that the Turks hardly have five books that have been read continuously through generations. 
Tampanar starts his search for the canon and the beginnings of the modern Turkish diction with Namuk Kemal, one of the most important Tazimat figures. Tampanar tells his students that Namuk Kemal knew the French Romantics very well and was, was especially influenced, influenced by Hugo. He then talks about how Paris is the repository of all things French. He says, Hugo's style is full of surprises. For the place you call Paris is, with its 2,500 years, France's attic. All things to do with the past are gathered, accumulated here. After establishing the centrality of Paris for French novel writing, he says, Hugo's third novel is Notre Dame. If Kemal had been inspired, so if Namuk Kemal, this important writer, had been inspired by it, his work would have centered around Suleimania Mosque in Istanbul. The development, a French word he loves to use in his lectures, of French literature around its monuments is inspirational for Tampanar, and he traces this kind of influence in his lectures. He emphasizes the importance of architecture, calligraphy, and miniature for Turkish writing as a repository of a certain kind of Turkishness, of proportion, perspective, synthesis, harmony, and taste that needs to be transcribed into writing. If there are canonical buildings, Suleymaniye Mosque is definitely one, the model after which almost all other mosques have been planned to this day in Turkey. Just as there can be um, no French literature without Notre Dame as a repository, there can be no Turkish literature without looking to Suleymaniye as a repository of the nation's history and the influences it has absorbed. Tampanar's contemplations on architecture and their function as repositories of characteristics of a nation, which he dwells at length in, five, in another um, book called Five Cities, leads him to make fundamental claims about the Turkish spirit through the writing of his own mentor, uh, Yahya Kemal. And this is his, um, him paraphrasing Yahya Kemal. Turks are a Mediterranean nation with Greek taste and manifest themselves as a reaction to Christianity. Our architecture is different from the Arabs, who don't consider us proper Muslims. It is neither Arab nor Selchuk. There is an unconscious Greek architecture. Our mosques are light and lucid. End of quote. According to Tampanar, while the Turks were able to make their own architecture that, ex that expressed Turkish spirit and taste, because Turkish authors were late in asking the who am I, who are we question, they were late in developing prose and the novel. Tampanar evokes Yahya Kemal to account for what he, what he literally calls our belatedness in the novel. He says, quote, By the time we started writing novels, Hugo had, writ uh, had written Les Miserables, and Russian novel had already experienced Dostoevsky. The novel had changed three, four times by the, uh, by the time we took it on um, in the 1870s. End of quote. This is indeed why, when it comes to the question of canon, Tampanar finds himself revisiting music and architecture. The idea of the canon and the classics are very much with Tampanar as he looks to French literature for a similar kind of search for the classic. And I'll quote it at length here. Um, so he's against, he's again starts with his mentor. Uh, Yahya Kemal wanted us to move beyond an imitation of French literature, to return to the country, to return from the school. Imitation never ends. Europe has at, le at least 30 génial poets. We have to introduce our own culture générale. The important point of, uh, about Yahya Kemal is that he identified a particular method in the matter of influence. When he read Racine, etc., uh, Yahya Kemal asked, what are the classics for us? And he found Nedim, and Nedim is another uh, Turkish poet. Rasin became a bridge. Yahya Kemal asked, what is Turkish poetry? And answered, our old poetry is a way of diction and sound, and he tried to find that sound. 
he realized that Turkish would be beautiful when articulated direct. So this passage reveals several of Tampanar's concerns in his style. He liberally uses French words when speaking of literary history. Tampanar's first concern, uh, as articulated in the passage, is a literature that speaks to the people and stays away from the stylistic conventions of early Ottoman poetry, uh, poetry where rhythm ruled the world, uh, world, word. <laughs> yeah, both. <laughs> um, we can see the philologist approach when he says that language should come before form and the reader should be allowed to delight in the ordinary, ordinary language he hears. He gives the example of Malarmé, who he quotes saying that, quote, he learned the language from the concierge of Louvre because that concierge uh, mixes the discourses of the two different classes. We see that the French quest for the classic, classics interests Tampanar and becomes a vehicle for him to ask the classics and canon questions for Turkish literature. His comparatism, as often revealed in the lectures, is one of literary history. The idea that literatures follow a certain path and there are certain identifiable themes and patterns <coughs> to do with diction and canon. For his Turkish literary history, he does an assessment of different European literary historians and identifies them as the following. The French brunetier, uh, he says, works through the development of genres and periodization. Uh, German Peterson and Wechsler are interested in generations, and Taine is interested in regionalism and the idea of the circle. In conclusion, uh, we can say that Tampanard, well-versed in French literature, looked to its history and development of genres in order to better understand and make sense of what happened to Turkish literature and language through the political and cultural crises it went through. There seems to be an effort on, uh, in relativizing the latest upheaval of the Republican alphabet and language revolution, because despite his ap appreciation of Ottoman culture, he was also a reformist, always prioritizing efforts of taking literature to the public, as he says, in his lectures and literary history. Drawing parallels with French literature, he emphasized that the, understa uh, that the understanding uh, that all literatures, languages and authors live in the same world and their response to different external and internal influence can somehow be comparable. That understanding one can help understand the other. So Dante can be a key to understanding Yunus and his effect on Turkish language and the Church of Notre Dame and the Mosque of Suleymaniyeh can be seen as repositories of an, of an essence to be reflected in literature. Thank you.